Here is a, a conversation I had with a, a friend of mine. I guess you may have had this conversation with friends of yours, or it may even be that um, you're here this evening and my friend's words will be very close to what you actually think and feel yourselves. The, um, the conversation, it was several years ago. We were down having a drink near Selfridges, not far from here. My friend had agreed to do the Christianity Explored course uh, with me, and he'd been really enjoying it. He'd done seven weeks of the course. He'd done the, the weekend away. He was doing the Discipleship Explored course after that, and he'd been having long conversations with the leaders of his group about faith, and we were meeting for a, a bit of a catch-up. So I began asking him questions to see whether he now thought that any of Christianity was true. And uh, we sort of worked our way in, and everyone, he said yes. Uh, I don't remember quite what all the questions were, but yes, Jesus is real, and yes, he's more than human, and yes, he rose from the dead, and uh, yes, he offers forgiveness and eternal life, and yes, he's uh, God. And as we kept going, I got more and more excited. Inside, my friend has become a Christian. And, and I got to sort of what was my last question. Well, do you think then there is anything stopping you from becoming a Christian now? And his answer was honest and straightforward. He said, well, I don't want to change my life. And uh, we kept talking from there, and we kept talking for a while, but that is where he was, and as far as I know, still today, that's where he is. So Christianity is true, but I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to change my life. And I I don't know, maybe you have had that conversation, or maybe that um, in some way describes you this evening. We've been working our way through Mark's gospel and uh, looking at Jesus, and I think by this point, Mark's question is, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to believe in Jesus? And we've been building to that over the last few weeks, and tonight I've given this sermon the title, Amazing Interest, because we meet someone, King Herod, who was very, very interested. Look at verse 20, the last verse we had read. Uh, King Herod, he has his own Old Testament prophet stashed in a a prison cell so he can run kind of Christianity explored for him whenever he wants. And uh, Herod, he is very interested, says he liked to listen to John and he feared John, he protected John. Um, He is interested, no doubt, but Herod, he does not want to change his life. And in the end, that doesn't go very well for John, and it doesn't go very well for Herod. Now, I've got um, three headings tonight, if we can have those up. Three headings that will take us through that journey. And the first one is a, a bit of a recap. So first one, there are overwhelming reasons to choose Jesus. And that is chapter four and chapter five. In fact, um, even before we opened up Mark again a few weeks ago, uh, already in the early chapters of Mark, we would have seen that Jesus is God and that Jesus came to save his people, seen that he's the the sin doctor, he came for bad people to forgive them, and we'd have seen a, a stack of miracles to show that he is powerful and he is good. But now, um, point one, just to cover chapter four, chapter five, where over the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus do some of the same kind of things, but greater. 
In fact, the, the word we kept getting in the chapters was mega. So who is the most powerful person you have ever met? Well, how about this person? So um, starting from chapter 4, verse 35, uh, first of all, Jesus commands the weather. And in England, I think that makes us feel he would be about as useful as an umbrella. But in the account, it is a mega storm, violent and dangerous, and Jesus gives it a command. And the wind died down, and it was completely still. Um, someone from BBC Weather uh, came past this morning, and I thought I'd just ask her, um, how much air would you have to control to make a storm be still? And she thought for a bit, she said 10 miles vertically. Um, and, you know, however much area that is as well. Um, and then actually think about the sea as well. The Sea of Galilee is four cubic kilometers of water covered in breaking waves, which then goes flat calm. So why wouldn't you believe in Jesus if our physical world recognizes him as creator and king? Then uh, second, he meets the spiritual equivalent of a storm. It's a man with a legion of demons who is out of control and dangerous to himself and to his whole community. And Jesus gives him, them, a command. And the man becomes as calm as the sea the night before, uh, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Uh, Faced with a a mega evil, we see that the the demons are terrified of Jesus. So why wouldn't you believe in Jesus if the spiritual forces of evil recognize him as God and king? Then third, he meets incurable sickness. There's personal tragedy, there's weakness, and there's fear. Uh, And almost by now, the, the control, the power is not a surprise, though he can do here what no doctor and no amount of money had been able to do in 12 years, and he does do it without medical equipment or any diagnosis of any kind. But what stands out is his kindness. He is gentle and reassuring to this woman who he calls daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Why wouldn't you believe in Jesus if if all of the sicknesses in the world have to do what he says and he is kind and he is gentle? And then fourth is the one that you would think even then might be too much for him because in the fourth one, Jesus meets death. Uh, 5 verse 35 uh, over the page, that is certainly what the messengers think. They say, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. You know, maybe Jesus, maybe he's good with sickness Uh, Maybe he's good with evil. Maybe he's even good with nature. Maybe he can command all of those things. But after death, there's no one to command and nothing to heal, surely. But Jesus, he goes to the girl's bedroom. He walks in through the funeral and he says two words that mean, little girl, get up. And she does. And from that point on, there is a living, breathing 12-year-old girl uh, playing in the street and growing up and maybe working in the family business, maybe one day starting a family of her own, living as a mother and then a grandmother, all to say, why wouldn't you believe in Jesus? Nature, evil, sickness, death. If there was somebody who could protect us from all of that, someone who could make utterly reliable promises about indestructible life after death, backed up by undeniable proofs, like the village grandmother, who everyone knows died when they were 12. 
Why wouldn't you believe in Jesus? But over the last few weeks, we have met some people who don't do what we might think they should. Don't do what we think we would do in their shoes. Uh, There are some disciples, and they are more afraid after the storm has gone than they were before. Then uh, there is a community that are more afraid of the man without demons than they were of him before. And then last week, there was his own hometown who were offended at him because he had power and he had wisdom that they never gave him. So why don't people believe in Jesus? And Mark wants us to understand, wants me to understand about my friend, and maybe even wants to explain you to yourself, uh, which is where we'll go next. There are overwhelming reasons to choose Jesus, but second, choosing Jesus requires all of you. So that's point two. Choosing Jesus requires all of you. So open back up um, page 1008, Mark chapter 6, verse 6, and pick it up where it says the heading, Jesus sends out the 12. And what's going on there is a a kind of national rollout moment. Uh, Jesus, he's been traveling around kind of as a one-man band, offering life to people, but now he sends out six teams of two. And I am... I I was going to try and work out whether that is a 600% increase or a 500% increase, and I decided I didn't care enough to uh, try and get that right. But it's a lot. It's a lot more. Uh, Verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two. And um, the terms of employment are different to other times Jesus does this. This is a short, sharp, urgent blitz. So verse 8, Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. So in other words, they have what they need to travel from one town to the next town, but no more than that. Uh, Sandals and a staff, but no food to eat, no money to buy food, and nothing to put on if it gets cold or you're caught out overnight, which makes them utterly dependent on how the next town receives them. Uh, Verse 10, when you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Which was, um, that was more culturally normal then in first century Judea than it would be in 21st century London. There was a hospitality culture and a tradition of, of wandering preachers. But it's still weird, isn't it? To have no backup at all. No money in your pocket if anything goes wrong. Means it is all about how they will be received. Uh, You show up, you announce that you are here from Jesus with a message from God, and you see if you get invited home. If it goes well, uh, you enter the house, you stay there, you eat, you sleep, and you give them the message about Jesus. But verse 11 says what to do if it goes badly. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. If they won't welcome you, won't receive you, well then just leave. It's partly because you've got to, because you won't eat, and you've got to get over the hill to the next town to see if it goes better there. But it's also necessary to what Jesus is doing. Um, Look at verse 12, which is the summary of what they did. They went out and they preached that people should repent. 
Uh, It's not everything that they do. Verse 7, they have authority over evil spirits. Verse 13, they use that authority for good and they also heal many people who were ill. But the message is you should repent. It's the same as when Mark first introduced Jesus back in 1 verse 15. The summary, repent and believe. Jesus, he is about repentance and he is about belief, about faith. And in chapter 4, chapter 5, it's been all focused on belief. There have been comments about faith and just believe. And even um, verse 6, at the very end there, uh, he was amazed at their lack of faith. But now the focus is on the other half, is on repent. Which is the, um, the bit that my friend didn't want to do. He believed, uh, believed that it was true at least, but he did not want to change his life. And what my friend understood was that choosing Jesus is all or nothing. He, he requires all of you. Repentance, it is a, a total change of direction. Instead of going my way, doing what I want with my own life, I turn and I now follow Jesus, wanting to obey him, wanting to do what he wants with his life that he has given me. Uh, so the, the 12 disciples turn up in their, their six teams. They turn up in your town square and they announce that they want you to repent. And if someone in the town listens to that and welcomes that, well, then they, they stay with him or her and all of the, the overwhelming reasons to choose Jesus kick in for that house. Healing and forgiveness and freedom from evil and eternal life. But there, there is no halfway choice if the message is repent. And so it's not surprising that some towns will not listen, will not welcome, will not repent. And I wonder what you would do. You and I might um, choose a strategy of patient begging. Uh, maybe we'd expect Jesus to say, well, if any place will not welcome you, then uh, rent an Airbnb and stay for as long as it takes and um, give them all of the reasons why they should believe and do all the healings that you can, see if it makes them willing to listen, and if necessary, get down on your knees in the dust and beg them to believe. But on this short, sharp, urgent blitz, Jesus says, verse 11, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And uh, it is a a very clear visual piece of testimony, that, isn't it? Um, uh, I haven't actually cleared this with Claire, but Claire and I, um, we do not keep the, um, the tidiest house in W1, and uh, you know, just occasionally a guest will feel free to, to comment on that. You know, won't be able to stop themselves making a comment. I knew we'd reached a low point once a few years ago. I was standing in my hall with a student, and the student said, "You should really think about cleaning up." That was a kind of student said that. It was pretty um, hurtful. Um, but um, if if I saw you leaving even my house, and if I saw you get out on the street and immediately take your shoes off. And you start desperately cleaning them, urgently trying to make sure there's not even a tiny particle of what was in my house left on your shoes. Um, I would know that we had not had a good visit. Um, the, the stakes are very high in these verses. God's promised king sends his chosen messengers to offer Israel a, a binary choice in the end. 
repent and join the king or reject him. And the the choice there, it's about all of you. Um, Give him your life or turn him away. And Jesus is requiring that all or nothing binary. Um, So there are overwhelming reasons to say yes. Uh, Incredibly, Jesus, he is offering a way to escape from the sin that is killing all of us. But he is asking for all of us as he does that. Um, And so, third point, that means that some who are interested in him will be unable to choose Jesus, unable to choose Jesus, which um, brings us back to Herod. Uh, We're actually going to have two weeks on Herod because um, he is just so interesting and so important, but um, here, um, it's sort of how he responds. So um, the national rollout from Jesus, it attracts the attention of the government, of the king, and the king is confused about what's going on. And of the the three choices that are on the, the front page of the Jerusalem Sun, he goes for verse 16, this must be John, who I beheaded, now raised from the dead. That would be a fun reunion, wouldn't it? Um, you know, he cut his head off and here he is, hello, I'm back. Um, that's what uh, Herod thinks is going on. And Mark takes us on a flashback in order to explain why Herod lost his head. So verse 17, John was arrested and it was because of Herodias, his, that's Herod's brother, Philip's wife, whom he had married. So here is um, some of the backstory. Herodias and Philip, they had been married for about 30 years, which I think counts as quite a long time. They'd been married 30 years when one day Herod, Philip's brother, came to visit them. He went to Rome to visit them in 26 AD. And he spent the summer there, you know, being friends with them, making, uh, you know, renewing the connection. And then he married his brother's wife and brought her home with him to Jerusalem. History does not relate uh, how Philip felt about that. Uh, but in Jerusalem, that was the scandal of the decade. Um, we love a royal scandal, don't we? And that was the scandal of the decade. And it happened just at the moment when John the Baptist was preaching about repentance. Just at the moment when all of Judea and all of Jerusalem went out to hear John the Baptist. Must have been quite a moment, don't you think, for the crowds? Quite a moment for John the Baptist. He's the the new Elijah, he's the new prophet, he's fearlessly calling on everyone to repent, but surely, surely he won't call out the king. Well, verse 18, John said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Uh, Ollie uh, reminded me, Ollie, the, the Ollie Lansdowne who preached last week, he reminded me during the week that um, this episode here, it is in one of the official Church of England homilies. There's some kind of official sermons that if you ever get bored of me, we can just read out uh, from the front. Um, and in that sermon, it answers an important question for the contemporary church. Question being, did John the Baptist die for nothing? As in, did John the Baptist, did he really, did he sort of overreact at this point? Should he just have left Herod and Herodias alone? Um, You know, maybe, maybe God doesn't care what people do in their bedrooms. And the answer in Mark 6, the answer in the official Church of England homily, 
is that sex outside of marriage is worth dying for. Because the job of a Christian preacher is to call people to repent. In other words, John the Baptist made the right choice. Even though it cost him his life, uh, he saw a, a person who needed to repent and he called him to repent. John the Baptist, Jesus of Nazareth, they both have the same message. They are uncompromising preachers of repentance. If you choose Jesus, and I really, I, I hope that you will, if you choose Jesus, he wants and requires all of you including your sex life. And if we want to give people the good news of Jesus, then the message is repent and believe in the good news. Without repentance, there is no good news. And a a, a repentance conversation, that is never going to be an easy conversation, or not normally, but Herod actually was about as sympathetic an audience as you will ever get. So he um, arrested John, fair enough, that's not a great start, is it? Um, And his um, new wife, the Queen, verse 19, um, she does want to kill John, which is also not great, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him. So John is trapped in a a tug-of-war between the king and the queen, but really he's in a tug-of-war between different parts of Herod's own heart. Uh, We get a lot of um, window into Herod's soul here, I think. Herod, he believes in John. There's no question of that. He fears him. Uh, It's quite something, isn't it, when the king fears the prisoner in his own dungeon. And Herod, he knows that this is a righteous and a holy man. And more than that, he loves listening to John. So um, if you are a, a Christianity Explored leader, Herod, in some ways, would be your ideal group member, wouldn't he? Uh, interested, engaged. Uh, he, he knows that he's found a righteous and holy man. He loves listening to more from the Bible. I think the image here is of, you know, Herod gets up in the morning and he um, tells, his wife, oh, I, I'm, tells his wife, I'm off to fight a war over there or do some, you know, big politics stuff. But really, he kind of sneaks down the, the staircase to the dungeon for a long Bible study with John. That's what's going on in his life. But verse 20, he was greatly puzzled. And um, that doesn't mean that Herod was slow to understand. Uh, I think that is a very sympathetic description of someone who knows that this is true, but refuses to repent. Um, Herod, he is amazingly interested in John's message, and he, he knows who John is, and he knows who he speaks for, and he knows what he should do. He needs to break up with Herodias. But he is trapped. And I, I think Mark shows a lot of compassion for Herod and how trapped he is here and also next week. He is so powerful politically, but he is so unable to do what he thinks is right, which um, part of him desperately wants to do. And really, that was my friend's dilemma as well. Jesus, yes, but I do not want to change my life. See, there's, um, there's two men in this story. One of them is in a palace and one of them is in a prison. And it is the, the king who is really the prisoner. And um, we're going to return to the, the story next week. But I just want to give you two applications as we finish tonight. Um, so the first one would be if you find yourself in the same position as my friend uh, or as Herod. So if you're here tonight 
and you know that this is true, but you also know that you're caught in the same agony. You want to follow Jesus, but you are unable to because you know what you need to do to follow Jesus, but you don't want to. Maybe it is a relationship. Uh, Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's how you speak to people. Maybe it's how you spend your money. But whatever it is, you know that giving all of yourself to Jesus would involve change. And you just cannot bring yourself to do it or do it yet, maybe you're saying to yourself. And Mark, Mark is inviting you to step out of your prison cell. Says, you know, roughly take the moment when the cell door is half open. Uh, If the jailer leaves the door half open, what you do is you run at it. You kick it open and you run for your life. There are overwhelming reasons to choose Jesus. He is powerful and he is kind. Life and forgiveness and a better way to live is here. Take the chance while you can. Because for Herod, his opportunity closed, as we'll see next week. And if you refuse to repent, well, then eventually the the dust is shaken from the feet of Jesus' messengers. And eventually your own heart closes down at the openness to listen. And that um, second application is something that maybe we need to hear as the messengers. So we shouldn't be surprised if actually some of the most interested people are in the end unable to choose Jesus. And that, um, that doesn't mean that anything is going wrong with the message. doesn't mean that you've said the wrong thing or you've explained it badly at work. Um, this is what happened to Jesus, the apostles, John the Baptist, and everybody. It is the, the simple refusal of the human heart to repent. And our part is to offer people that choice. Um, The real message of Jesus is that he requires all of you. And it's right, and it's good that he does. His rule is better. But um, when we say it, we may even get hurt for saying it, as John the Baptist did. But John the Baptist was, was not an idiot. He did not die for nothing. He died for the message of salvation in Jesus' name. He died for the only good news that saves And we are called to do the same. And let me pray and then we'll sing as the band come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for how good he is, how powerful he is, that everything we need is there in him. Thank you for his offer to every person on this planet to turn to him, to trust him, to believe him and to repent and give him their life. And Father, we pray for ourselves. Uh, for our courage as we speak, for ourselves, for our courage as we weigh up this decision, for those here doing that. Father, please would you help us to, uh, to stand with Jesus, to offer his gospel, and to follow him with our whole hearts and all our lives. We ask in his name. Amen.